Welcome to In Loving Recollection. This is your pal Brent. My grandfather had this workshop. It was this very narrow room inside the detached garage at my grandparents' house in East Point, Georgia. Now the best way to describe this place would be organized clutter, and it was one of my favorite places to be as a young boy. I'm not sure if it was a symptom of growing up during the Depression, but my grandparents rarely threw anything away. In fact, my grandfather would often bring other people's discarded items back to his workshop. Inside, there was an ever-growing assortment of tools, parts, lawnmower engines, lots of dust. Every area of this small space was just filled with something my grandfather more than likely found and brought back to his shop. He could also fix anything in his own specific way, often repurposing those items from his workshop to do so. His methods weren't perfect, but the outcomes were often beautiful. His was definitely a do-it-yourself spirit, and I've naturally always gravitated towards people with similar aesthetics. In the world of art and music, there's always been an abundance of individuals that fit this ideal. One such visual artist with a true DIY spirit, and whose work means to me a great deal, is the late Howard Finster. For the uninitiated, Finster was a Baptist minister from Georgia who had a vision in the 70s which instructed him to begin creating sacred art. And though he had no training as an artist, he began creating his works, completing over 10,000 pieces by the time of his death in 2001. I first encountered his work while visiting my mom's sister's family in Florida many years ago. My cousin Greg had a couple of pieces on display in his room. How he happened upon his work, I'm, I'm not sure. Finster did do the album art for R.E.M.'s Reckoning, so maybe it's there. But anyways, it's difficult for me to try and describe my feelings towards his art, other than there's a purity to it that I find constant inspiration in, both artistically and spiritually. So when I read a piece from The Fader on the song Painting a Picture by John Andrews and the Yawns, and how the lyrics were loosely based on Howard Finster, I felt this might be a band for me. I already, in a way, knew about John Andrews through his association with the band Woods, so I also assumed that this would probably be something in my wheelhouse. And it was. With further investigation, I found Andrews to be an individual with that same DIY spirit to which I've always been drawn. And with that, I put on Andrew's 2017 record, Bad Posture, and I listened. This is the story of that record. My name is John Andrews, and I guess I founded Beyonds, which is my band. started as an imaginary band it was just me in the beginning and then I figured out 
who I wanted my band to be, but now it's back to being an imaginary band once again. And for a while, the band was, it was very flexible and a lot of people played in it. Like the first ever Yawn show was like Megan Duffy, like from Hand Habits on guitar and my friend Rob from the band Widow's Peak on bass and my friend Kevin on drums. Like it, it's always kind of been revolving. When, when I moved to New Hampshire, I established a more solid lineup. I would call that like the golden days of like the Yawns. Like that's what like, when I think of the Yawns backing band, that's what it was. It was myself, Lucas Goudreau, Rachel Nivew, Joey Schneider, and my friend Noah Bond. And yeah, that was like the uh, official lineup for a while. Basically, the band is me. Like, yeah, I, I, in a way, like, am the Yawns. But, um, you know, I, I just wanted to have a band name for my band because I, I felt like no one would want to play in a band called John Andrews. Andrews, who is also a talented visual artist, first began his creative endeavors at a young age while growing up in New Jersey. I like grew up in New Jersey and I was an only child, definitely like a bit of a loner. My mom used to just give me her camcorder to like play with as a toy when I was like very young. From an early age, I would like make my own like goofy home videos and I would make like stop animation with like my action figures. And I used to like draw comics and then just like film the comics and narrate them. Pretty early on, that was, like, my form of entertainment. But, like, as opposed to, like, watching a lot of stuff, I, I was, like, making stuff when I was younger. But, uh, yeah, I grew up, like, an only child. And, like, I feel like skateboarding is probably the first thing that really took over my life. Um, and, like, skateboarding kind of just, like, changed it all because it got me into so much music and art and just, like, a weird way of looking at everything. It is through skateboarding that Andrews begins to make music. It's really funny. The real way I got into playing music, I guess, was through through skateboarding. Um, I actually um, had my own public access TV show when I was like very young. Um, it was called Skate Concrete, and I made skate videos and with my friends. Like I would just like go to Philadelphia and make a skate video, and I got paid to like you know, film them and edit together an episode and it was on public access. But the thing was like the music that we were allowed to use was like so corny and I hated using it. Um, so I started like recording some of my own like instrumental songs and putting that, like putting them in the skate videos. So it wouldn't be as like cheesy. <laughs> And then I, I eventually started like singing, but I was a really bad singer back then. So all those recordings have been lost due to like being slightly embarrassed over them. But yeah, I mean, I guess I got into music like on my own. I kind of just taught myself. I took drum lessons, but as far as like guitar and, and piano, um, I'm, I'm self-taught. Through developing his talents as a multi-instrumentalist, Andrews has gone on to tour and record with many notable indie bands such as Hand Habits and Cutworms. And one of the more fruitful connections that he's made as a musician is with the New York-based band Woods. Oh, 
and this comes about through Andrews joining the Boston-based band Quilt in 2011. That was kind of like my first real touring band, um, and I was pretty young when I joined um, and played with them for a couple of years, and I learned a lot in that band. It was kind of like my formative years as a touring musician, so I kind of learned like what to do and what not to do while playing in that band. But Quill kind of led to me playing in Woods. Um, and yeah, I joined Woods when I was like 22. I was always like a big Woods fan. Um, like I got their very first record, How to Survive in the Woods in like 2007, like when it first came out. I was like such a big fan. Quill, we got signed to a record label and we were trying to figure out who we were going to record our second record with. And I was like, how about Jarvis from Woods? Because I knew that he produced records. He did the first Widow's Peak record that I really liked. And I was like, we should hit this guy up. And he was totally down and he was really friendly. And it just worked out really nice. And I was like such a big fan. So it was really fun to, you know, he, he was like producing our record and playing on the record. And then, yeah, kind of like during that recording session, he asked me if I wanted to play Keys in Woods, which was like my dream come true. I was like, oh, my favorite band just asked me to join. Like, duh, I'll do that. And it's so funny thinking about it now because, yeah, back then I was like such a fan and I was like so nervous to like be in the studio with them. And like now I'm just like, oh, yeah, it's Jarvis. It's, I've heard him fart in the tour van for years now. Like, it's just, yeah. Um, and I started touring in Woods during the Bend Beyond era, towards the end of that record cycle. And then we recorded with Light and with Love. I toured um, full time in the band during that record cycle. And then since that, I've kind of just been part time. Like if I can go on tour, mm -hmm. then I do. And if not, they have, uh, you know, another keyboard player and saxophone player that plays the parts that I wrote on the record. It is during his time of playing in both Quilt and Woods that Andrews relocates from Boston to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Well, I grew up in New Jersey, and it's right across the river there. And uh, I was kind of like over living in Boston. I just like wasn't into it anymore. And I started dating a girl in Pennsylvania. So I kind of moved there for love. Yeah, she got a job as a librarian in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And I loved it there. It was like kind of just real small town vibes, like the Amish country is out there. It was just driving through that area just feels like you're in like a different time era sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I lived out there for like about like a year and a half or something in Pennsylvania. Inspired by his time in Pennsylvania, Andrews begins work on the songs that would make up his first record under the John Andrews and the Yawns moniker. I made like some of it there. I started it there and I was very busy touring with Woods and Quilt. So I started it and then... My girlfriend and I broke up, so I moved out of Pennsylvania, and I finished it at my grandparents' house in New Jersey. So it was kind of like started like in Pennsylvania and, yeah, finished in this small town, Allentown, New Jersey. My grandparents are like snowbirds, so they go away for the wintertime. So they had this like beautiful old house, and it was just totally empty, and my piano was there. So I was like, yeah, I'll just set everything up here and record. Andrews releases the record Bit by the Fang in April of 2015. released through Woodsis Records, an independent label run by Woods frontman Jeremy Earls. 
the first record was just really me learning so much about music and I did it all on my own. I play everything and, you know, I'm glad that it exists. There's definitely many moments that I'm like embarrassed about and like can't listen to or I'll like cringe, but like I've learned a lot um, as a musician since that record's come out. Uh, but yeah, it was all recorded by me and record everything on my laptop just on GarageBand. I usually, you know, try to mix it a certain way. And afterwards, um, I took it to my friend who lives in Baltimore, this guy, Josh Dean, and we ran it through one of his tape machines, like after it was mixed. But then also there are a few tracks like that. I did use like my little four track for like the piano or like the vocals or something. You know, I, I didn't really tour behind it or anything. Like it was kind of just like put out into the world and the people who heard it, heard it. And, not a lot of other people did hear it. <laughs> the album art of Bit by the Fang is a vintage photograph of a family sitting on a large rabbit statue. Unbeknownst to Andrews at the time, the photograph in a way would predict his next move. That's my family in like the early 60s. They're at this theme park called Santa's Village, which is coincidentally in New Hampshire in the White Mountains. I, I didn't even realize that at the time. And then it was kind of like this uh kind of weird uh uh you know it kind of like predicted the fact that i was going to eventually move to new hampshire it was kind of funny santa's village is still there it's it's still up in the white mountains in new hampshire and i went to it a couple years ago and uh the the rabbit is still there it looks like reef burbish like painted it um it is so weird but Oddly enough, they added a baseball hat to it, one that looks literally like the hat that I wear every day of my life. I ended up in New Hampshire, basically, I befriended this band called Moss, M-M-O-S-S, and they they lived up in New Hampshire, and we would kind of come up here on, like, weekends um, to, like, get out of the city. They lived in this big old farmhouse. Yeah, eventually, it got to a point when, like, my living situation in Pennsylvania was, like, kind of... I was over it and I was just looking for a new place to live. And I knew that they had like an open room in their farmhouse. And I was like, dude, I just kind of want to move up there and like start fresh. I've moved up into New Hampshire, uh, literally just knowing two people, my roommates at the time, which were um, Rachel Nevue and Lucas Goudreau. That was like a legendary house. um, Like a collective of different artists lived in it for like close to 10 years. And, uh, yeah, no, no one lives in that house anymore. Now it's like a bunch of like crazy, like backwoods, like hillbillies live in that house. Like there's like, I drive, I drive past it sometimes when I'm up here and there's like dirt bike tie, like ripped up the front yard and stuff. It's crazy. It is in New Hampshire that Andrews begins work on bad posture. I'm just always writing songs and like sometimes the songs date way back. There are some songs from like five years ago that I'll just like hear a voice memo for that i totally forgot about and i'd be like oh yeah this and i'll like work on it some more and it'll end up on like a, re- a new record you know um but i started uh i, I feel like the f- first song that was written for bad posture was probably that song homesick in heaven um or probably actually the song windmill was like one of the earlier songs that i had written but like I recorded it so many times and just could never figure out the right production for it. And it just changed over the years. 
Um, and the, the one on the record is the one that like kind of stuck. We had this room in the house called the Red Room where we would jam in a lot. And I think I, I started recording there when I first moved into the house. And I was definitely like uh, cautious of not being too loud and like only working when I was home alone at first because, you know, I was like moving into someone else's house. And then after a couple months, I was just like, uh, fuck it. And I just, you know, played as loud as I wanted, whenever I wanted. But I, I eventually, I started recording like in that room and then throughout the winter time, uh, yeah, I would be in that room and like, just get a rip in with the wood stove and just try to like work all day. I would get like drunk off of coffee. Um, and then once it was nice out, I moved everything out into our barn and uh finished recording it in the barn outside but yeah it was just basically one microphone for the whole record um mxl v69 tube mic and yeah i pretty much just used that for the whole record i i had like a bullet microphone like a one of those harmonica mic i learned from uh from playing with woods um, they used to use that on like Jeremy's vocals a bunch and I used it uh, here and there. Um, so I usually do like two vocal takes. There's probably actually a few songs I do like three or four layered vocals, which is like too much. Like looking back on it now, I'm like, why did I do that? Like I should have just done two. But yeah, I, I feel like I would do like one track with my MXL mic and then one track with my bullet mic. And I'm a really quiet singer too. I'm like very, very quiet when I sing. I EQ a lot of the the mids up, and we'll put a little, just a tiny bit of reverb or delay on it. But yeah, the, also there's this other microphone that um, I used for the song "Windmill" on my vocals. It's an Electra voice. I, I forget what model it is. But it wasn't my microphone. I was like borrowing it, and I really like how that microphone sounds. I'm probably gonna um, make like purchase that for the next record. And in the end, he was able to make a record. One of the strengths of Bad Posture is its consistency in sound. Granted, this is probably due to one guy recording the majority of the instruments, but a great record with a specific sound has the ability to transport its listener. And Bad Posture's opening track, Drivers, does just that. It's easy to imagine being at that New Hampshire farmhouse 
watching the imaginary band of the Yawns jam this song out. Drivers is a great introduction to the sound of Bad Posture and is reminiscent of after the Gold Rush era Neil Young. Another do-it-yourself lifer also known for jamming out in a barn. Yeah, my inspiration for that song, I feel like I was listening to a lot of Elise Weinberg at the time. Her record is called Grease Paints Smile. And Neil plays lead guitar on it. I mean, and I love Neil Young, so yeah, duh. But uh, I was definitely listening to a lot of Grease Paint Smile at the time. So I wrote the song after a tour that I did with this band Widow's Peak. And I kind of like wanted to try to write like a Widow's Peak song, kind of. I don't know if I've ever told them that either. Kind of just like wrote the song, wasn't sure how I was going to like record it and... I forget which Elise Weinberg song I heard, but I was like, you know what? I think that this would be a good style of production for this song. I actually was pretty inspired um, by the song on the Hand Habits record, All the While. Chorus of that song, like everything kind of drops out. There's so many songs and people are producing it and they think, oh, the chorus is coming. We have to make it big. We have to make it bigger. But honestly, if you take stuff away, it just leaves so much more space and it kind of catches your ear more. That was the first song that I like recorded for Bad Posture. I brought my computer and my microphone to Philadelphia and had my friend Paloma and Lou sing harmonies on it. Um, so they do like the oohs and ahs. Also, I feel I haven't listened to it in a while and it might not be as present now. Like I feel like I might have mixed it out, but I'm fairly certain that you can hear like I think like the tom drum on the drum set like totally fell off in like the second verse or something and just like fell on the ground. But I just kept recording. But uh the piano on Drivers is actually my Nord, the piano sound on the Nord. Uh, you know, kind of ashamed to say, but I just did with the Nord as like a placeholder kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I ended up just like getting used to how it sounded. And I was like, you can't even tell that it's fake. Uh, the lyrics, I guess, are just about like, it was about leaving New Jersey and Pennsylvania and finding independence in the new space that I was living in. There's a song on my first record called uh pennsylvania and this is almost like pennsylvania part two Pennsylvania was like a song for hope when I was moving to Pennsylvania. And then Drivers was kind of like 
my song for hope moving to new hampshire looking back at living in pennsylvania being like oh shit, that was crazy and, and just knowing that I, I was starting a new life Continuing the hazy and rustic sound of Bad Posture is the song Old News, which contains splashes of pedal steel and Andrew's distinctive honky-tonk-esque style of piano playing. What anchors this song, as well as many of the tracks on Bad Posture, is Andrew's subtle and tasteful drumming. I, I think in drumming, at least for the bands that I play in, less is more played with a lot of drummers that just play too much and it and it just doesn't work and I end up firing them you know I think it's like a common thing like people want to like show how good they are mm -hmm. but like honestly being good and having taste are like two different things I guess old news is kind of about trying a relationship for like a second time um, like maybe getting back together with someone that you once were with and it's kind of a pun of a name like uh there's like all these new things that pop up again that you're like oh wait i remember this like this isn't a new thing this is like and this is like an old new thing like i it, it, it makes sense in my head and it's kind of just about like trying to um rekindle a relationship that already fell apart um so yeah that's what old news is kind of about more or less so I should say that I recorded Bad Posture in three different times throughout like, you know, maybe like a year and a half time mm -hmm. period. Thought that I finished the record two times before I actually finished it. Like there was like all these like songs that didn't make it on the record and like different, ver there's like two different versions of the record. Or no, there's three different versions of the record. This song was recorded during the second like version of this record. And I recorded it out in the barn. I honestly don't remember that much about recording it. I just remember recording that with like the barn doors open in like the springtime and just really enjoying the weather. That was like a really fun thing about recording in the barn because I would just leave the doors wide open and just like it was just so beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, that has pedal steel. Lucas plays it. Rachel bought that pedal steel from a gas station in new hampshire <laughs> there was just like a gas station that had like a pedal steel and some other like random instruments for sale for some reason and it was like kind of like a backwoods gas station and i think it was like really cheap i feel like it was like 200 bucks or something like that but it was like definitely like a homemade pedal steel it's like really weird like i sh showed it to a friend of mine that like is a legit pedal steel player and mm -hmm. he was like 
he was like this is weird there's like all these like different pedals aren't on you know normal pedal steels but lucas took a few lessons he had some guy come over to teach him and uh and he he was able to do a few little licks here and there Following old news is the charmingly rough-hewn track Windmill. It's probably my favorite song on this record. I'm a huge fan of Dylan's basement tapes, and I naturally appreciate the sound of something just slightly off. Its strength is in its imperfection. Windmill is definitely a song in this vein. And man, I just really love the last section of this song. Yeah, Windmill I recorded in our other barn. <laughs> we, we lived on like a lot of land, so we had two different barns. Um, and our friends turned a, a finished room inside of the barn across the street into like a little studio. Um, so I was kind of working in, in that room. It was probably the first song I had written, but the last song that I recorded for the record, I'm fairly certain. And that one, I recorded guitar first no click track which was a bit of a mistake uh but i was just like so tired of doing the same thing over and over again so uh there's definitely moments when like things slow down and speed up or like the tambourine gets a little off you know whatever it's home recorded and sometimes i sometimes i like things are, are a little sketchy i like to listen to music that sounds like it was made by uh, a person it's like flawed in ways not perfect you know i know a lot of my friends that make music when they mix stuff they like line up every snare hit so it's perfectly on the beat and everything and that, that's just not how i work that was kind of the goal in recording that song was to have it be a little loose and just you know it was fine that it, it's, it's the drumming isn't perfect i had my friend ian everett play the like noodley guitar at the end like the little guitar solos mm -hmm. he visit he visited me up in new hampshire and i played in like my first band ever with him i wanted him to do some guitar solos at the end and he just plugged in and he just by accident kind of had this like guitar tone with like the highs rolled all the way down i believe it's called like lipstick tone i think that's like the proper studio name for it but it, it was kind of like an accident uh but I was like, actually, I really like that. Let's just like go with it. And then he did a bunch. He did a bunch of guitar solos, and I wasn't like that pumped on just one of them. I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to like edit these to like make it work in the song. Uh, so I just layered all of them on top of each other, like, and listened to what they would all sound playing at the same time. And that's what's on the record. 
almost like two separate songs glued together. Like the first half of the song was like the uh, the part that I wrote years and years ago, and the end of the song was like this kind of unfinished other song that I think I just like kind of changed the key of and like smushed smush them together so they could work. Following the layers of sound present in Windmill is the sparse Home is Just as Good as Any Place. Featuring just vocals and an electric piano, the track's starkness is what makes it so affecting. That is a cover song by Biff Rose. I did not write that song. I felt like I needed like a short little ditty for the record because all the songs prior to that were like four minutes long and I was like, God damn it, like I, why can't I just write a short song? Biff Rose is someone who I uh, discovered his music when I was like 20 years old and he became a friend of quilts. Like uh, we became like kind of close friends with him. And he's someone who made a bunch of records in like the 60s and 70s and kind of fell into obscurity but um his, his lyricism is like out of this world it's just like so beautiful the lyrics on his very first record are like my favorite lyrics of all time and while i really love his music um i i can't uh fully back him up current day because i think he he's definitely he definitely has some demons and some mental illnesses and I can't really agree with him politically on just about anything. He's, he's definitely turned, turned into a different person than he, he was like when he was young, but like his, his early records were really special to me because I met him and like, we got to like visit his house and I got to see how like eccentric he was. He's one of those dudes who's just in the moment and just like, shit coming out of his mouth that you're like how did you come up with this like he like speaks in like rhyme weird puns and it's just he was just like no one that i ever met before there's a lot of crazy history with him like he was on the johnny carson show like 12 times very close with like george carlin uh david bowie covered one of his songs on hunky dory he's had quite a interesting history but kind of like through his own actions burnt a lot of bridges and mm -hmm. faded into obscurity but you know those early records are still really special to me so that song i always uh felt really attached to i thought it was very beautiful it's off of a record called roast beef that was produced by michael nesmith and the record basically is just biff sitting down in front of a piano and just play he just played the record all the way through one take 
it's a really special song. Um, and it's not the entire song. The, the Biff Rose version goes on and on, but I was just like, dude, I don't know how to figure out these piano chords. I was just like, let's just keep it short and simple. And it's like, you know, however long it is, a minute, half or something, you know. I recorded that on like a little Tascam four track. Um, and I just recorded that right in my bedroom. Following Home is Just as Good as Any Place is the wonderful track Painting a Picture which, as I previously mentioned, was loosely inspired by the life of Howard Finster. I got into Howard Finster um, in like kind of like a weird psychedelic way. Like it was just like a weird coincidence that I was on a road trip and uh, visited a friend's like uh, warehouse where he kept some artwork. And while I was there, there were some Howard Finster pieces and I didn't know who Howard Finster was, but I was like obsessed with these pieces. And I was like, oh man, these are amazing. Um, and then later on, on that road trip, uh, we went to the uh, American Visionary Museum in uh, Baltimore, and there was a whole Howard Finster exhibit there. And I was just like, oh, man, I just saw this guy's stuff like down in Georgia. Like, that's so crazy. Uh, and I, I just got obsessed with him, you know, got a bunch of books and I own, a, you know, some of his artwork. And yeah, I mean, that song is kind of about uh, trying to make the best of life when it's kind of hard to sometimes like because this world is so insane and dark and sad but trying to just like live through it in a positive way i mean howard finster was like an incredibly uplifting person he was just like so bright and yeah it's loosely about him like painting a picture painting it gold trying to make things better than they are yeah, the song kind of turned into that by accident, which was also kind of weird. Like, I started writing it, like, uh, probably in, like, 2015. And I have, like, an early demo on a four-track, and I didn't really have any lyrics for, like, the verses or anything. But I had the chorus, painting a picture, painting it gold. And then just throughout the years, it kind of like I forgot about the song and then revisited it. And then it was right around the time of like becoming obsessed with Howard Finster's work. And I was like, you know, what? this these two things will blend very nicely. And yeah, it kind of turned into a self-realization. It was about Howard Finster. The first version of the song just had like Wurlitzer on it. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I felt like I was missing acoustic piano, so then I overdubbed the acoustic piano on top of the Wurlitzer to make it sound a bit more full. And I like was on the fence of whether or not I was going to keep that organ solo.
because uh, I thought it was like too much. I was like, people are going to laugh at this. But then my roommates were like, oh, no, you got to keep this. It's so good. And that's Rachel playing the flute. Yeah, I, I arranged that. I mean, it's very simple arrangement. But yeah, I, I kind of just told her what to play and she recorded a few versions of it. Relax is a repetitive and hypnotic number that gradually builds to a beautifully claustrophobic wall of sound, all the while being anchored by a vintage drum machine. is a rhythm ace. I got it at a music store in New York City a couple years ago and I use it a lot for demos and for writing songs you know alone I'll just like pick a drum beat and then just like play the piano to it Um, and I believe JJ Kale uses that drum machine on Naturally. Um, I feel like Sly and the Family Stone use it Uh, and I just love it it's just so fun. I do a lot of like live solo shows with it but I played to that and just decided to keep it. I, I do a lot of like, uh, I'll like record a track of the drum machine first and then use that as like a metronome. But this time I just kind of left it in there. And I, I just wanted to have a song that was like uh, instrumentally very different than everything else on the record. Um, so I used like like five or six overdub tracks of piano, like doing the same thing over and over again and tried to make it sound like almost like a steel drum or something at times. Uh, I, I just traveled through Africa, through South Africa and Zimbabwe. Um, and I was listening to a lot of, you know, African music at that time. And I, I wanted to make the percussion feel like that. Um, and just, have the vibe that you know it was a lot of people just like jamming and playing at the same time you know it's none of the instrumentation was like very thought out like there is wah guitar there's like a farfisa organ on it uh there's like a slide whistle i think and i had my friends paloma and lou do a little backing vocals i did like some oohs and ahs and wow wow like whatever but yeah, the song itself, I kind of just, you know, I didn't want to think too hard about like a specific melody for anything um, besides like the piano and the flute. I wrote that while I was living in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on like a four track. The original version is like just guitar and it's very sparse. Um, it was just like a singing line that I liked. I liked the melody, but I didn't really have like, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't. I couldn't figure out like if it was a verse or a chorus or what, you know? So I just kind of like, I was like, you know, sometimes you can put a song on a record that 
you don't know if it's a verse or a chorus. You don't know what it is. It's just kind of like a song. It's just like a jam with like a little melody to it. Homesick in Heaven is a cosmic country number that once again displays Andrew's wonderful honky-tonk-esque piano playing. The piano on the record was done with my piano. I like made a weekend when I was going to drive to New Jersey and uh, just record all the piano for the record. Um, I had this really cool piano. Um, I had it in my house in Lancaster, and then after I moved out, I, I moved it to my grandparents' house. Um, and hopefully it'll come with me to my next place, but, uh, it's just really hard to move, but it has like a really specific kind of like honky tonkish tinny kind of sound, which I really, I really like. There's just something about it that is just the, the most magical sound in the world. Playing it like, and like feeling the strings vibrate, like it's like a huge piece of furniture that just makes music. And I love that thing. I love how it sounds. It doesn't sound like just some like uh, baby grand. That's a really old song. And I originally recorded it like a very long time ago when I was like in quilt and like really into like, you know, psychedelic rock and like kraut rock and stuff. And the original version is like a straight up like kraut rock song. Uh, I like recorded it when I was like 21 years old or something. And I was like, I was like, this song is interesting. Like the lyrics are really weird and and silly, and I like the chord progression and some of the melodies. But like, I I just changed the arrangement to make it just made more sense to me to play it this way. I kind of like figured out that finger picking pattern, and I used a like guitar through a wah pedal as like a percussive instrument, mm-hmm. like holding the strings with one hand and then like kind of like hitting them percussively with the pick. I feel like that one is pretty loose. Like, I don't think I recorded that to a drum machine. I, I wanted that one to be kind of like, a, feel like a family band, like jamming together and be kind of sloppy, which it is. And the drum fills are like definitely all over the place in that song, but I think I like that about it. The song Audrey starts off with an R&B vibe, and as it builds, the track is blanketed in a multi-layer of sound. 
That riff in the beginning, it's really funny because I was on an airplane yesterday and something that I like to do when I'm like on a long drive or on like a airplane is listen to a lot of my old voice memos on my phone. And uh, I found um, where I originally came up with that riff, I whistled it into my, my voice memos at a Dead & Company concert. I went by myself like very spontaneously and uh, before the show, I was just sitting around and I just came up with the riff in my head and whistled it into my voice memos and, and yeah, I used it for Audrey. But the rest of the song was that kind of like, that that entire song, I guess, um, was written without any instruments, like just like kind of in my head, like singing while I was driving, uh, which is kind of funny to think about. <laughs> I was really into the song Cherry by J.J. Kale. And I was like, oh man, like songs that like are just someone's name are the best. And I was like, I want to write one. And I didn't really know who to write about, but I was watching Twin Peaks at the time and I was like in love with Audrey. And uh, I was just like, you know what? I'll just call it Audrey. The song is like not really even about anything. There's like barely any lyrics in the whole song. It's definitely something that I just like came up with while I was like driving. I, uh, wanted it to be pretty open and like the original demo is really really slow and like very sparse instrumentation the version that's on the record yeah, i just like added that intro and the outro and when we played that song live we would like jam it out a lot another interesting aspect of audrey is the presence of a singing saw within the layers of sound i am a singing saw aficionado but yeah, I learned I learned how to play it like when I was like 20, 19 or 20 years old. I don't remember the name of the guy who I first saw play it. It was like some guy that used to play house shows like in the New Jersey, Pennsylvania okay. area. And I thought it was so cool. And I was like, how the hell did you do that? And I, I had a violin bow and I had a saw and I just, it didn't take me very long to learn. I actually would do it like very often. I used to work on a, um, haunted hayride and i would uh, <laughs> i was like dressed up like this like weird goblin and it would play singing saw for like people waiting in line at the haunted hayride uh so i could like i can like play songs like on on the singing saw i can play like whatever you ask me to and i was i was like approached uh through email by this lady her name's like the singing saw lady and she has like a singing saw music festival every year and she asked me to play but i I said, I forget if I was busy or I just yeah. didn't want to. But I never cool. thought that it would get me anywhere in life. But uh, I've played it on Kevin Morby's record and I played it on that Wood song, Moving to the Left.
much like he did in placing the sparse home is just as good as any place after the fully orchestrated windmill, Andrews follows the fullness of Audrey with the sparingly arranged The Sun Shines Different for You. Just vocals and electric guitar, this example of tasteful restraint nicely concludes Bad Posture. I wanted to have something that was very simple for the end, and it's just my guitar plugged direct into a four track. Um, you know, that might have actually been the last song that I recorded for the record. It's between that and Windmill, I'm not sure. Something that I think is like missing and contemporary music or like albums that are made today or like just hearing an instrument you know like people just always want to add so much to every single song and i think like sometimes the more you add the less impressive things are because you're like okay i get it it's like a cgi film or something you're like okay like i get it like you, you know you can like do whatever you want at this point in history with like the technology that's given and sometimes i think it's just more interesting to not do all that stuff yeah it's just a simple song i'm not even totally positive what it's really about it's somewhere in between like loving someone and just being like you know i i love you so much and you kind of transcend all these other aspects of life to me or it's also i feel like it could also be about like people just with big egos i don't know (laughs) that was a song that like the lyrics kind of just like happened and i i wasn't entirely sure where they were coming from or what they meant to me but they i kind of like tried to decipher my own meaning to them it's fun when you write a song yourself that you're not totally sure what it's about because there's you know, when you're a musician, you, you're never able to really like listen to your record for the first time, you know, and be new to it. So sometimes if you have a lyric or like a song that you're not sure what it's even about, it adds this like mystery to yourself that like, or your, your mystery to your own work that you can try to process. So you, so you can have something from your record, you know, Hey, it's all coming from somewhere. Whether you know where or not it's coming from, it's coming from somewhere. As someone who's spent a lot of time staring at album art while listening to the music, I've always loved the art that conveys the setting in which the music is created. I think about the basement of Big Pink whenever I listen to music from Big Pink, or the basement tapes, or the chicken shack when listening to Link Ray's self-titled record. 
the album art of Bad Posture has the same effect. It fittingly pays tribute to the New Hampshire farmhouse that inspired so much of the sound of this record. The album cover is a photograph of the farmhouse, with Andrew sitting at its front steps. This photograph also speaks to the inspiration behind the album title. I was looking at a picture of myself playing piano, and I was just like, dude, I have really bad posture. (laughs) Uh, And I was like, oh man, that's like not a bad name for a record. And I like ran it by my friends. I was like, I don't know if I like this or not, but like, this is my idea. And they were like, oh no, like, that's it. That's the record name. You got to name it that posture. So, and it just kind of, just kind of stuck. And, you know, the album artwork kind of helped it out because you can see how much I slouch on the artwork. (laughs) Bad Posture is released on March 10th, 2017. And like his previous effort, it was also released by Woodsis Records. I put the first record out because Jeremy asked me about it and he's like a friend of mine and he was like, you know, you play in the band, you have a free pass, you can put out a record if you want, you know? He agreed to putting my record out before he heard any of it. I think he just he just heard Pennsylvania, so he took a big risk. And I, I was so young and so naive to how, like, the music industry works and everything. And, you know, it didn't sell that much. And, uh, you know, I didn't really tour behind it or anything like that so i didn't know what i was doing i was just like i'm gonna make a record and like just see what happens like i jeremy never said anything about doing another record together and then it was like the last week of me recording it and i didn't really tell anyone that i was like i think maybe i had showed him like a, a track or two or like some songs that were like possibilities um but he never said that he was going to put anything out. I was just, like, working on the record. And then he, like, messaged me my last week of recording, coincidentally, and was like, hey, what's up with your record? And I sent it to him, and he was down to put it out. So, you know, I, I really owe a lot to Jeremy. He's done a lot for me. I think he has really good intentions and has really great taste, and he's just been, you know, nothing but kind. And I, I am, like, very appreciative that he's put my records out. It's awesome. Choosing a career that's dedicated to one's own art can be at times a difficult life. If you've listened to the past episodes of this show, you know that the aftermath of a record's release is not always a positive experience. But with Andrews being an independent artist, his experience as a recording and touring musician differs greatly from that of an artist on a major label. The pressures are different, and it's this freedom that allows Andrews to continue moving forward in creating his art at his own pace. It's been out for two years. I'm very aware to the fact that my last record came out two years ago. I really wish that I could have something out right now, but I've literally been dedicating my life to like touring and being in other people's bands that I, I don't have time to record right now. But yeah, Bad Posture has been out for like two years, and I'm happy with it. Like... You know, it's not like a record that, like, flew off the shelves at record stores, but, you know, Woods has sold out of all their copies. That's it. You know, I, I sold I sold all the copies in a couple months. Been out, out of print since, so that, feel, that feels good. You know, I haven't toured with the Yawn since we broke up, so I haven't done much um, since then for the Yawns. But people come up to me every night at shows. You know, I play in many other... I play in Hand Habits and Cutworms the past year, and... People come to me every night at shows and like 
ask about the next John's record and I'm just like, oh man, I really want to like release music. I'm just so busy, um, you know, because it's so hard to be a band and make money, you know, like playing in the yawns that level, like uh, I wasn't like making money or anything, but you know, I am, I am with hand habits. So it's like, you know, I'm, I love playing in hand habits. So like I'm down to like dedicate my life to it, but it's getting to a point when I'm like really missing my own stuff. Thanks for listening to In Loving Recollection. A very special thanks to John Andrews for speaking with me about this very special record. You can buy and stream Bad Posture, as well as some of the other projects that Andrews has been a part of, on woodsus.bandcamp.com or the various streaming platforms. Seek this stuff out. It'll make you a better person. This interview was recorded in the summer of 2019, And Andrews has since announced on Instagram that he has just finished a third record, so be on the lookout for that. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or at inlovingrecollection.com. We'll see you next time. We'll get through this.